Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. So usually you hit the gavel and the guy walks free. Everybody celebrates. But he says, no, no, this is, this is an issue. This is a problem. And, and because of the intensity of the accusations and the accusers, he's trying to find a way out of taking responsibility for the judgment that, that he needs to make. In today's broadcast, we have part two of Pastor Sam's message, Jesus Tried. We're taken up in verse eight of Luke chapter 23, where Jesus has just been passed from Pilate to Herod, and we will be looking at what happens next as Herod passes him back to Pilate, and Pilate passes him to the will of the people. So let's listen in. What we have here is not the Herod who had uh, commanded that all the babies be put to death at the time of Jesus' birth. He's long gone. This is another guy. This is the one who had a relationship with John the Baptist. And we know he actually liked John. He used to have John in and listen to John's preaching. And so it seems that God was at least stirring Herod's heart. He was dealing with him. Now we know things go from bad to worse for him. But it's important to know that John dealt with him as if he could convert, as if he might convert. He didn't look at him and say, there's just no way. And we want to have that kind of a heart and those kind of eyes for people. We want to assume the best about them, that if we give them the gospel, God's word can penetrate their hearts and, and, and that their lives can be changed. We never want to get to the point where we're prejudging the outcome in any case, with Herod, well, he, he, he's a mess. I mean, he, the family's dysfunctional with the capital D, and he is absolutely out there. And he, he sees his brother Philip's wife, and, and he likes her. I mean, he likes her a little too much. He actually takes her from his brother Philip and, and makes her his own. Now, he can't legally marry her because she's still married to Philip, and and John the Baptist, you got to appreciate this guy. He doesn't care if you're a peasant coming out into the wilderness or a soldier or if you're, you know, Herod the king. No, when, when he comes up to Herod, he says, hey, it's not lawful for you to take your brother's wife. He calls Herod to repent. He had the same message for every person he came in contact with. He calls him to repent. He rebukes him for his sin. And Herod isn't real fond of all of this, but he doesn't put him to death. And I find that interesting. Instead, he puts him in prison. Well, there's somebody even more upset at John the Baptist, though, than Herod. And that's Herodias. And see, she, she's really vengeful. And, and bad guys in Scripture choose to choose really bad gals. It's, it's like you have Ahab, who is the worst king in all of Israel and the northern kingdom, and, and he in, ends up hooking up with a gal named Jezebel. And, it, you know, there may be some Ahabs that you've met. You never meet anybody named Jezebel. I mean, even in a pagan America, people still, oh, I don't like that name for some reason. <laughs> it's stuck for so long. Well, the same thing is really going on here. I've never met any Herodiases. And, and uh, in any case, and you could just see how Herod is so magnified. And, you know, this guy's named Herod, even though he's down a ways. And, and then Herodias, and they're together. And John rebukes. Well, 
long story short, she has her daughter dance for Herod and his drunken uh, party mates and they're having this big thing and, and the daughter dances and he's pleased and he offers her anything she wants and she comes to mom and says, what should I ask for? She says, ask for John the Baptist head on a platter. You see the wickedness and depravity of her heart in a way you don't get to see, well, a lot of people. And so it says Herod, though he didn't want to do it, because he couldn't be embarrassed in front of his guest. He didn't want to be, oh man, what a, a weasel he turns out to be. He has John beheaded. Now for John, it's bad, but not all bad. Because you know that, that John is going to be there in glory. When we breathe our last or when the rapture happens, either way we're going to be in glory. We're going to get to hang out with John and ask him questions, find out more about what went down with him. But the point is this, because of Herod's unwillingness to repent and Herodias' unrepentant heart, absolutely, well, John is put to death. This is that Herod. That's why it's important. And we read of this guy in verse 8, when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad for he had desired for a long time to see him. He'd heard many things about him and hoped to see some miracle done by him. Here's a guy so blinded, so, so you know, just clueless. He murders Jesus' cousin. John the Baptist, of course, related to Jesus. He was the forerunner of Jesus. He's the one who baptized Jesus. He's the one who said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the one who discipled people and then encouraged them toward Jesus. Man, John is as good as they get. And this is the guy who's murdered him. And so he's thinking, oh, awesome, Jesus, I've heard so much about him. I can't wait to see him. Maybe he'll do some of his stuff for me. But he questioned him, verse 9, with many words. And we read, but he answered him nothing. This, to my knowledge, is the only time Jesus refused to speak to someone at all. Later, he won't answer Pilate, but he's already answered lots of questions. He's kind of done at that point. But he does interact with Pilate. With Herod, he just stares him down. And, and I remember we last time considered, well, what was the look that Jesus looked at Peter with? And I suggested it would have been a, a look of compassion, a look of brokenheartedness. I didn't want you to have to go through this. I, I tried to warn you. I tried to convince you. Now, I believe Jesus would have looked at Peter with a look of compassion. But if Jesus ever looked at anyone with contempt, Herod would have been that guy. And so um, in any case, Herod's all excited and Jesus isn't going for any of it. The chief priests and scribes, we read in verse 10, stood and vehemently accused him. Then Herod, with his men of war, treated him with contempt and mocked him, arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. That very day, Pilate and Herod became friends with each other, for previously they had been at enmity with each other. There is a fulfillment of prophecy here as Jesus is mocked and 
and brutally beaten and and uh, the prophecies of Isaiah fulfilled literally in this scenario. Also, we see Pilate and Herod who had been at enmity with one another. They were enemies. Now they become friends. Why? Around their mutual abuse and rejection of Jesus. Then we read in verse 13 here in Luke 23. Then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers and the people said to them, you have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod. For I sent you back to him. And indeed, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore chastise him and release him, for it was necessary for him to release one of them or one to them at the feast. And they all cried out at once, saying, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for Murder. Now, again, he says, I find no fault in him. He qualifies it concerning the charges of which you accuse him. Herod didn't find any fault in him. And then he says, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. And verse 16 makes no sense in light of all of that. He says, I will therefore chastise him and release him. I'm wondering if you were in court and by the way, the earlier trials were all about Jesus incriminating himself. They were trying to get him to say something that they could use against him. You know, our legal system is based on, uh, you know, the, the laws of the scripture. And one of the, the laws we have, it has to do with self-incrimination. I don't know, it was the fourth or the... Fifth Amendment. Yeah, I'm, I'm always interested in, you know, who knows, because you probably found out. But uh, well, anyway, um, anyway, Jesus did incriminate himself because he always told the truth. And the issue here is Pilate has pronounced him innocent, not just once, not twice, again and again. And then he says, but I'll go ahead and chastise him. Let me ask you, when you get to the end of a court case and they say not guilty, I'll beat him a little and let him go. You're like, wait a minute. Not guilty. Did you hear? Not guilty. But Jesus doesn't say anything. He allows it all. Why? Because of the prophecies related to the well, all that would happen to him leading up to and culminating on the cross. I'll chastise him and release him. But they say, not this man, but Barabbas. Barabbas, he had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion. So we know he is what they are saying Jesus is. Somebody who is leading the people astray. And for murder, someone asked me last night, why do you think they put rebellion before murder? And I think I had an answer for this one and still do. While murder is certainly a, a horrific crime, in the, in the minds of the Romans, rebellion to Rome is even worse, see? It's like, well, nothing would be less tolerated than rebellion to Rome. And, and that's really what they're trying to say about Jesus. He is, is against Rome because they know that will force 
Pilate's hand. Well, he wanting to release Jesus, wishing to release Jesus, verse 20, again called out to them, but they shouted, crucify him, crucify him. It's only been days since the shouts, the cries were, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And those disciples so excited thinking, man, it's happening. We're here. The kingdom's about to be established. They're hiding out now for fear of their lives and wondering what's happening to Jesus. Well, he says to him a third time, verse 22, why? What evil has he done? I have found no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. Again, a miscarriage of justice. And it brings us to John 19, just six verses. And then we'll actually we'll look at a few more. Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. That scourging, by the way, was 40 stripes minus one. The one they didn't give him was supposed to be for mercy's sake. Now, tradition tells us that one way they used the scourging was to elicit confession of unsolved crimes. So if the stripe went upon your back and you cried out, hey, I did this or I'm guilty of that, the next stripe supposedly would be lighter. If that be true, Every stripe would have been more intense than the one that preceded it because Jesus had no crimes to confess. He had no sin to confess. And so they scourged him. Many men died of this scourging, kept them from even uh, having to take them to and nail them to the cross, deal with that whole issue. But Jesus survives the scourging. The soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head and put on him a purple robe and they said, Hail, King of the Jews. They struck him with their hands. Pilate went out and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may know I find no fault in him. And Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold, the man. Now, I can't say this with assurance, but to me, I see Pilate at least showing Jesus respect. While he had nothing but contempt for the religious leaders of Israel and they had nothing but contempt for him, he brings Jesus out and he says, Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said, You take and crucify him for I find no fault in him. And again, you crucify him? I'm telling you he's innocent. Now, Matthew, and you don't have to go there, Matthew 27, 24 fills in yet another blank. When he saw he could not prevail, but that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. I'd like to suggest that if you're the judge and someone's on trial and you found them innocent, you don't get to wash your hands and say, well, I'm innocent in the, the blood of this just person. No, Pilate is as guilty as he can be because he knows these charges are trumped up charges and, and he's allowing the people to manipulate him. Why? Fear of consequence, fear of Rome hearing that things got out of control and that he couldn't control those people. 
Well, all the people answered and said, and it's Matthew 27, 25, make a mental note. His blood be on us and on our children. They call down a curse, but they don't just call it on themselves. They, they, they call it on themselves and their children. And by the way, less than 40 years after this, the Romans would surround the city. Titus and his armies would take it and destroy the temple and burn the city and, and murder multitudes of these guys, taking the rest of them captive. His blood be on us and on our children. Well, John 19, 7, the Jews answer him, We have a law, and according to the law, he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. They actually get to the real charge, the, the actual charge, that they're concerned with blasphemy. He claims to be one with the Father. They get it. And when Pilate heard that, he was more afraid. And he went into the praetorium and says to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. And Pilate said, are you not speaking to me? Don't you know I have power to crucify you and power to release you? And Jesus answered, you could have no power against me unless it were given you from above. Therefore, the one who has delivered me to you has the greatest sin. Jesus said earlier, told his disciples, no man takes my life from me. I have power to lay it down and power to take it up again. This command I've received from my Father in heaven. And he's just telling Pilate, it's not like Pilate is a pawn in all this. He's making decisions and he's trying to avoid responsibility. He's doing all he can to keep from accepting the responsibility he ultimately will be judged for. But Pilate, from this point, tries to release him, and the Jews cry out, If you let this man go, you're not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. The noose is tightening here, and you have to see it. The noose is on Pilate's neck, not Jesus. Pilate is just backed into a corner. They're saying, Hey, you let this guy go? You're against Caesar. Pilate therefore heard that saying. He brought Jesus and sat him in the judgment seat in a place called a pavement in Hebrew, Gabbatha. But it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold your king. Earlier, behold the man. Now behold your king. But they cried out, away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Pilate said, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered. Now, these are the religious leaders of Israel. We have no king but Caesar. They're saying, hey, we're faithful to Caesar. We're honoring Caesar. We're following Caesar. They were supposed to be following and faithful and representing the Lord in any case, verse 23 of Luke 23. But they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. The voices of the men and the chief priest prevailed. And Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested. And he released to them the one they requested, who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison. But he delivered Jesus to their will. Two thoughts. First of all, Barabbas here, the first guilty man to go free because Jesus is substituted for him. 
And you have to know that the freedom we found in Christ, the forgiveness of sin is all about his sacrifice in our place on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sins. The other issue here, Jesus has faced six trials, but there are really seven pictures. When he stood before Annas, it was really Annas who was on trial. When he stood before Caiaphas, it was Caiaphas that was on trial. When he stood before the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin was on trial. When he stood before Pilate, it was Pilate. When he stood before Herod, it was Herod. When he comes back to Pilate, it's Pilate. And then there's the people. They handed him over. The religious leaders, the, the mob of people, some of them potentially had been in that crowd hearing or even chanting, Hosanna, Hosanna. And now the chant is crucify him, crucify him. The point is this. We don't sit in judgment on the word of God. It sits in judgment on us. And we don't judge Jesus and decide what he said or what he meant. No, what we, he sits in judgment on us. And yes, every one of those trials took place. But in every case, Annas had a choice and Caiaphas had a choice and the Sanhedrin and Pilate and Herod and the people, they had a choice and you have a choice as well. The scriptures couldn't be clearer in this issue. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things become new. Not only was Barabbas set free, we'll find next time the thief on the cross is forgiven and promised paradise with the Lord. This day you'll be with me in paradise. So the question becomes, well, what happens to us when we pass from this life to the next? You know that the statistics on this are, well, they're staggering. One out of one, a hundred out of a hundred. Everybody dies. And the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. And every person here will stand in one of two judgments. If you were a believer in Jesus, and by that I mean you don't just affirm who he is, but you've surrendered your life to him. You've, you believe he died not just for sinners, but for you and for your sins. And you've surrendered your life because he gave his life. If you're there, you will stand in a judgment where your works will be judged and you'll be rewarded for those works that survived the fires of God's judgment. But if you continue in sin, in rebellion, if you continue to resist the, the, the work of the Lord as he tries to convict you of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come, you will stand a, a millennium later in a judgment where no believer will be, only unbelievers, and everyone will hear, depart from me. Everyone will hear it. And the judgment will be eternal. And, and, and so here's the, the point. You have a choice. We all have a choice. Those guys had a choice. We have a choice. And, and if you choose to confess your sin, he promises to forgive your sin. Pastor Sam made mention, as it pertains to Pilate, that Pilate judged Jesus as not guilty. However, he allowed the trials to continue due to the intensity of the accusers and their accusations. Now, if we pay attention to what is going on around us in society today, we're going to see the exact same thing going on. People who maintain views that are not only completely contrary to God's views, but are in direct opposition of just plain old common sense. 
tend to present their cases with anger, intimidation, and what appears to be a discernible, visceral hatred towards anyone who might disagree with them. Now, many, like Pilate, just accept these ideas, as they are frightened by the intensity of those making the claims. The further away from the truth the claims are, the more they rely on intimidation to get you to ignore the truth and to accept what they are saying. Now, in the light of this reality, I would just ask that you keep this verse in mind. Galatians 1.10 says, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.